0: to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, it looks like it is going to possibly be a white Christmas. Wait, can we call it a white Christmas anymore? Is that racist? We'll just edit that out. Anyways, it looks like it's going to be a bear Christmas, right? Because according to the Biden administration, the current supply chain issues that we are facing could go into 2022, which means the busiest shopping season of the year, right, is not going to have access to the same products and services that we've all become accustomed to just ahead of Christmas. Now, for those of us that understand the true meaning of Christmas is to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, this isn't a huge issue, but it is still problematic for many of us, even those of us who recognize the real reason for Christmas, but still like to have you know, a fun time with our kids opening presents. So the question is, is, why are we in this situation with the supply chain? Like, What has caused it? And so we're going to go over some of the left-wing narrative, some of the conservative arguments, both bad and good, and we're going to go ahead and give you a comprehensive explanation so that when you are talking with your friends over this Thanksgiving dinner talking about all the things you're not going to be able to get for Christmas, you will be able to properly assign the blame, and hopefully we'll be able to work together to fix the problems for next Christmas. I'm Nick Frates with Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. Supply chain. What exactly is it, right? Everyone's talking about it on the news right now, but what do we mean when we talk about a supply chain? Well, obviously, that's all of the different logistical parts that go into making sure that you get products and services. So this is everything from getting the end products from the producer to the retailers that are going to sell it to you, but it's also about getting the materials that uh, producers need in order to make those end products in the first place. And so the supply chain really affects everything, but there's a large emphasis on, obviously, the transportation and logistical components of the supply chain. That's what we mean. is all the different factors of production that go into getting producers the things that they need in order to create the products that we want and then get those products into the hands of consumers. That's the supply chain. And where are we seeing some of the biggest problems with the supply chain in the United States right now? Well, this is taking place largely within ports all over the country, but especially the Los Angeles port, as well as uh, a reduction in the number of people that we actually have driving trucks. So we have problems with being able to get cargo off of ships into the harbor and then getting those, uh, those uh, the contents of that cargo onto trucks to be able to get out to the rest of the country, right? That's, that's where we're seeing a lot of the problems. So let's, let's focus right now on what's going on in Los Angeles because right now there are about 100 ships that are currently in the waters off the port of Los Angeles waiting to enter and offload their cargo. Now, you might say, Nick, that sounds really interesting, but is, is that good or bad? What, is that, what exactly does that mean? Well, pre-COVID, on average, there would be about 17 ships waiting to offload. So the fact that there's 100 right now, yes, that constitutes a significant problem with respect to the supply chain and the bottleneck that's taking place within Los Angeles Harbor right now. So what exactly is the Biden administration doing about it? Well, the Biden administration has come out and said that they're going to authorize 24-7 operations within the Los Angeles port, as well as trying to put in other incentives with respect to how long truckers can drive uh, before they have to take a rest in order to make sure that we're trying to, again, alleviate the supply chain crisis that we're currently seeing. So Despite all of that, some manufacturers are reasonably saying, okay, well, this doesn't seem to be getting the job done. And so they've required, they're, they're asking for the administration to do things like allow uh, ships to be able to uh, divert over to naval uh, ports so they can offload products there, to call up the National Guard to assist with the offloading in order to, again, get rid of this, this huge gridlock that we see within Los Angeles uh, Porter. Because it has gotten so bad at this point that shipping containers, again, even when they do get offloaded, that doesn't mean they're, they're instantly going on to you know, rail cars or uh, trucks. Sometimes they're actually just being put in residential neighborhoods in Los Angeles is an interesting story, but a guy that woke up, went to go to work, shipping container there, couldn't get there, right? So there are definitely a lot of problems going on as a result. So now that we kind of understand what the supply chain is, where are some of the most major problems taking place, let's talk a little bit about kind of the left wing, and I would argue the media's narrative with respect to the supply chain crisis, because it's actually gone through a couple different cycles now, all right? So when it when it first started off, when it first started to become an issue and people were starting to notice it in their lives that this was an issue, the White House, you know, the White House retweeted something that said that, well, essentially, supply chain and inflation, these are high-class problems. That is obviously absurd. Not only is it politically tone deaf to tell somebody that is is struggling with something as a result of supply chain, well, that's just a high-class problem, when the vast majority of people that are, are hurt by this are not you know, wealthy people. Right? It's people going to the grocery store and not finding the products they need. Or in the case of inflation, having to spend a lot more on the same products. Right? So that, that was one of the first iterations that we saw coming out of the White House, is this idea that this is all a high class problem. The rest of us, you know, what are we complaining about? But again, that, that's, a pretty hard, that's, a, that's a pretty hard narrative to sell. So the Washington Post came to the rescue. And what did the Washington Post say? Well, they came out and said, they actually had an editorial that said, instead of ranting about the supply chain, we should just lower our expectations, which quite frankly, I think would be an excellent campaign slogan for anybody that thinks that is a legitimate way to address this problem. No, 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 we don't, we don't need to actually fix the problem that we see. No, no, we just need to lower our expectations. Again, one way to address something, and I think it should appear on, on pretty much, I don't know, every campaign sign for Biden and Harris and every campaign sign for Democrats running for a election next year. What was the next one we saw? Um, oh, the, this is all because of COVID excuse. So again, the first excuse was, this is just a high class problem. It's not really affecting everybody. That ended up being garbage. Then it was the, well, we don't need to fix the problem. You just need to lower your expectations. Yeah. You're probably not going to get away with that. And so now it's coming to this idea. Well, this is all COVID. You can't blame Biden, right? This, this would have happened no matter who was in charge. Well, uh, again, COVID does, you know, global pandemic does affect the supply chain. I don't think anybody's denying that. The question is, is how much, how much responsibility does this administration have with respect to the current crisis that we're experiencing? And then finally, and this is my favorite, right? And this is almost always the last phase uh, of mainstream media reporting whenever a Democrat is in the White House. And and the latest reports I've been seeing have come out and actually said, well, actually, well, actually, this, the supply chain crisis is an indication of how good Biden is doing with the economy. Right? So, the, so the crisis is the indication of how good it is because we have all this additional consumer spending that we didn't have before, and productivity, and the supply chain just hasn't caught up yet. Yeah, okay, that's that's a pretty tough sell. And and here's the thing: I would challenge anybody that's looking at this and, and trying to analyze it. If Donald Trump was in, was president right now, do you think we'd be hearing a bunch of articles talking about how? A supply chain crisis is actually an indication of how good Donald Trump is doing with the economy. No, we'd be hearing about the you know the coming of the apocalypse and how it's all Donald Trump's personal fault. right? So this is this is the narrative that has come down. And I think a lot of people find it completely disingenuous or tone deaf and for good reason. However, I've also heard some conservative commentary that I think is either not completely accurate or potentially set us up for failure. And so I want to talk about what some of those arguments are before we get into the good arguments and actually talking about what is causing the supply chain crisis and how do we fix it. So one of the conservative nerves I've heard is basically this idea that this is all Joe Biden's fault. Now, look, I think Joe Biden bears some significant responsibility for what is going on, not just because of what he's done for president, but how he's behaved with respect to regulations for the last 47 years he's been in the federal government. Right? So I, I do think there's very, very legitimate critiques there. But if we don't acknowledge that there, are, there, there were going to be supply chain issues as a result of um, you know, COVID that isn't necessarily tied to a specific administration or government policy, right? I, that, that's not a fair argument. And if we put a, the blame all on the president, well, then there ends up being this idea that if we just had a different president, all of this would have gone swimmingly. And what it does is it distracts us away from a lot of the other problems that we have within our supply chain system that desperately need to be effectively addressed. Okay. The second conservative argument I've heard that I don't think is, is very good, right? or at least it, it, they're trying to explain a little bit too much, is this whole idea with P. Buttigieg. So obviously, P. Buttigieg, Secretary of Transportation, Department of Transportation is actually something of a, well, unfortunately, an important aspect of this with respect to supply chain, since supply chain is largely a logistical question. And some of the problems that we're facing right now are impacted by federal regulations and federal authorities. So it, it's perfectly reasonable to look at the Secretary of Transportation and say, okay, what are you doing? And obviously Pete Buttigieg has been working really, really hard for the last several months. Oh, wait, what's that? No, he's been on paid paternity leave for the last several months, for the last couple of months. Right? So he's not even on the job. He hasn't even been on the job looking at this. No, he's been on paid paternity leave. Now, and, and why is he on paternity leave? Is it because Pete Buttigieg, like, I don't know, gave birth. To the two children, no, because last time I checked, and I haven't, I haven't checked with woke biology lately, but last time I checked, it's still true that only women can give birth. right? So, so Pete didn't actually have to physically give birth. Him and his husband adopted two children. Now look, I am glad that they have that time when they've just recently adopted the children to be able to spend with each other, to be able to spend with the children. I think that's important. I think it's very formative. I get all of it. However, I will say this. One of the reasons why we have you know, maternity leave and paternity leave is the idea that that's an incredibly physically demanding event, right? I, I have three kids. and and thankfully, I was blessed to be with my wife through each one of of you know her giving birth to our children. and And at no point did I ever sit there as as the man in the relationship, as the as the husband and the father, and that to myself after she gave birth, wow, well, I did my part in this whole thing. No, I felt guilty because that was a that was an incredibly, you know, a, a stressful and, and painful experience for my wife. And so obviously, maternity leave is important to give them time to not only bond with their children, but also recover. And then that paternity leave can also be valuable. So I'm not docking paternity or maternity leave. However, I have friends of mine that were overseas when their wife was giving birth and they didn't get to come home from combat. They needed to just walk away from their job for months because they had a child. But Pete Buttigieg gets to do this in the midst of a supply chain crisis. And what I find fascinating about this is these are the same leftists that believe that these people are just absolutely essential to regulate and manage the economy, but then they also think they should be able to take two months of paid leave in the midst of a crisis that their department is directly responsible for engaging with. So which is it? And the reason why I think conservatives need to be careful on putting all this blame on Pete Buttigieg is not because I don't think he bears some responsibility. It's not because I think it was irresponsible for him to just take two months off in the midst of a crisis. I think he should have been doing his job. All right, but it's because I don't want to reinforce this argument that what's really missing from this equation is a different government strongman. No, the problem is, is that we have these government strongmen with all kinds of power and authority to come in and regulate massive industries that they know little and nothing about. And that even if they were experts, would still know little to nothing about the various intricacies of what it takes to have an effective supply chain. The only way that you have efficiency within that is by actually allowing free market forces to be able to operate, not by trying to micromanage everything from the you know, Secretary of Transportation. Having said that, it is certainly fair to critique some of the things that he's done or some of the things that he has not done. All right, but let's move in. So those, those are the two arguments that I think the conservatives need to be careful about. You can't blame it all on Biden. You can't blame it all on Buttigieg. Not just because that's not reality, but you can't do it either because you don't want to reinforce this argument that the real problem is, is that we don't have enough executive branch power to deal with these decisions. Right? Because ultimately, as we're going to demonstrate in our next segment talking about good conservative arguments, is that it was a lot of federal overreach and intervention into the economy that has created the supply chain, or at least set uh, set the environment for it to become even worse or exacerbated as a result of some of the natural things that took place as a result of COVID. So let's take a look at some of the, what I think are the good conservative arguments and get us focused on the right direction and actually work to alleviate the problem, right? That should be, the solution should not be, hey, everyone, just lower your expectations. The solution should be, is, okay, we didn't have a significant problem like this before. How do we properly identify what is currently happening right now? And then how do we fix it to not only alleviate the current crisis, but to hopefully be able to effectively plan for potential future ones. So the first thing we need to do here is understand something that, again, going back to the original point, is Biden, com- Biden completely to blame? No. But is he partially to blame? Absolutely. For instance, he's been sitting there bragging about how he's authorized 24-7, opera- 24/7 operations at the Los Angeles port in order to alleviate the bottleneck. Great. So how long has that been going on? Uh, well, from the last report from the uh, Long Beach Times, uh, exactly zero days. All right, so kind of typical of the Biden administration, Joe Biden gets up there and makes some sort of proclamation. Sometimes we understand what he's saying, sometimes we do not. But one thing that apparently has happened this time is whatever he said, the memo didn't get down to the actual port in LA because they are not functioning in 24-hour operations. Now, we can be frustrated with the Biden administration because they've issued this decree, but they're not actually following up on it to make sure it's done properly. But I think the other question that we have to ask, and this goes into the regulatory side, why is it that it requires the president of the United States to tell a port you can operate at 24-7 operations? Why, why is that necessary? Why can't, why can't the port, why can't consumers, why can't uh, producers, why can't the transportation industry, why can't they decide, you know what, we have a huge bottleneck right now. We need to get our products out. And so we're, we're going we're to up our productivity and up our operations in order to be able to meet this bottleneck. Because if we don't, we run the risk of ships actually going to other ports as a result. We we run the risk of this negatively impacting our business, right? But part of the problem is, is with government protections, government mandates, government rules, even if another port wanted to operate more efficiently, they would find it more difficult to do so because of anti-competitive government policy, right? So that's part of the big problem here is that, yeah, for Biden to say 24-7 operations, but we should then come back and ask the question, be like, wait a second, why do you get to decide that? Obviously, there's a need for this. Why isn't it something that just can be done? Why, why do we need to wait around for the president to make the decision? What's another one? So, I mean, obviously we know COVID is a, is a, is a factor and a, and a significant factor, but I think the other thing we need to take into effect with COVID is that, yes, a global pandemic by its very nature is going to affect supply chains, but we also do not let the government off the hook with respect to some of their own policies. When it comes to things like mandates, right, vaccine mandates, when it comes to government lockdowns, all of this creates problems within the supply chain, not just in the immediate term, but in the long term as well, because you're affecting future production, right? You're, 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 creating, a, you're creating an environment and scenario where the people that want to engage in a particular industry are now potentially no longer legally permitted to because they didn't get your forced va- vaccine mandate. That also creates shortages with respect to shipping, with respect to working at the port, with respect to trucking. Right, so again, government policy as a result of COVID is also causing some of these problems. And again, we can critique all day long on whether or not that government policy was, was effective or was um, appropriate given the cost benefit analysis. So if, if you're requiring these vaccines and that doesn't, that doesn't really save any lives in the long run, right, as a result of that industry. Okay, but then you created a huge problem where people are going out of business or people are losing their jobs and now we have higher suicide rates, Those are things that we have to take into consideration when we're actually making government policy because we're not just talking about, hey, here's a good suggestion. The government's coming in and saying, do this or we'll punish you, all right? And when the cure becomes worse than what they're trying to solve, that's problematic. And we need to be honest about that and go back and reevaluate it. So yes, COVID plays a role, but government policy in response to COVID, especially bad government policy, also plays a role in affecting our supply chain. The other thing that we have to take into consideration here is the mountains of regulation that have take place that affect our ports over the last 100 years. Now, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, Nick, these regulations have been in place. Right? These sort of problems have already existed, and we didn't have this kind of crisis. So how do you blame previous regulations, some of them which has been on the books for over 100 years, how do you blame that for the current crisis? Well, again, you need, this is where we need to be careful on how we make the argument. We're not saying that the Jones Act Right, which, which basically puts a lot of restrictions on who can offload, uh, you know, what you can do with respect to offloading cargo imports. We're not saying that these union regulations, we're not saying that these all caused this current crisis. What we're saying is, is that when you have a crisis that is as a result of, go- of both COVID and government response to COVID, and then on top of that, you have efficiencies which have already been baked into the system. Right, and, and have created problems, and make it difficult for you to adapt to a crisis, which is what these regulations do, then it exacerbates it. Right? And this is not the first time that we've seen this with COVID. There is a reason why, even here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, a Democrat governor who supports Certificate of Public Need regulations, and who supports um, licensure, you know, strict licensure requirements for medical personnel. There's a reason why at the height of the pandemic, he suspended those regulations. It's because we recognize they create inefficiencies and shortages. So what that means is, is that your ports weren't operating as effectively or efficiently as they could before this crisis, but as a result of this crisis, it has exacerbated all of the pre-existing problems. And again, that's everything from the Jones Act, which you know, requires a, a U.S. ship so you actually create additional expense and additional problems and log jams with respect to your supply chain. It's the Dredging Act, which says that, you know, it it, it has to be a U.S. ship that does the dredging. Well, what that does is it elevates the cost and it it lowers the number of firms that are available to keep up with the dredging, which is essential to keep your port operating effectively. Right? Not to mention the fact that we've also got a lot of union regulations. Now, before anybody sits here and says, oh, Nick, you're anti-union, I want to make something very clear. I'm not anti-union or anti-business owner. What I am anti is the government coming in and tipping the scales in the favor of one person or another in a negotiation for which the government does not have any legitimate constitutional role to intervene in. And unfortunately what's happened in places like Los Angeles is the longshoremen unions and some of the other unions associated with that port have actively lobbied the government to prevent modernization and mechanization of these ports. And so it's gotten so bad, Let let me just give you this figure. According to the 2020 World Bank IHS uh, market, container port performance index, right? Not one U.S. port ranked in the top 50 global ports in terms of getting a ship in and out of port. Not one. Keep in mind, the United States is the largest economy in the world and it ain't close. And we are the largest importer in the world. And yet not one of our ports ranked number one. I'm sorry, that's not by accident. That is a direct result of government policy. And unfortunately, some of these unions have decided the best way to get the sort of contracts they want is not to effectively negotiate based off of their productivity, but to go to the government, give politicians a crap ton of money during election season, and then allow those politicians to come in and make laws that give them special advantages. And in this case, give them advantages in such a way to where they actually prevent the modernization and mechanization and automation of different port procedures. All right, this this is why um, let me go ahead and read this off real quick one study even indicated that the automated cranes in the Dutch port of Rotterdam were twice as productive as those in Los Angeles now why is the union doing this well because if they can actually prevent modernization and mechanization and automation they, they think they can get more union jobs which means more union dues which means they're more powerful politically which means they can charge much higher rates for their labor right and, and the left routinely cheers this until of course you get to a point when a port is operating far less efficiently than it should be operating and unions aren't understanding that the bottom line is you might have saved certain jobs but you actually killed other ones that would have been created if the supply chain could operate more effectively because new mechanization and new modernization doesn't just kill jobs it actually moves jobs from one place in the economy where they're no longer needed to other places in the economy where they are desperately needed. But if you pervert that entire process, you not only hurt labor long-term, you also hurt the consumers and the producers in the here and now who need to get access to the products and services they desperately require. So so that's a big part of the problem that we're seeing right now. And again, if, if we want to effectively address our supply chain, the answer is more free market solutions. The answer is more competition. The answer is greater supply. The answer is is greater opportunities within that industry. Not allowing certain protected entities, whether they be industry or labor unions. Because industry also has to answer for this. There, There are industries, there are business owners that have also run to the government for protection. So I don't want you to think I'm just picking on labor unions right here. I'm picking on anybody that goes to the government to try to prevent competition. Right? So they try to feather their own nest with either regulations or your tax dollars through subsidies, and they create inefficiencies that then get horribly exacerbated during a crisis. Right? So let's, let's, let's wrap this up. So again, the supply chain crisis is in part as a result of COVID, in part as a result of government policies specifically associated with COVID. These are things like mandates and lockdowns. And then a part of it is, is literally decades-old regulations that have been creating inefficiencies within our supply chain system for decades, but now those supply chain uh, problems are exacerbated as a result of a crisis that the market is not able to effectively adapt to in a timely fashion because of those regulations. And now we're starting to see the, the exacerbated effect of them, not just the normal effect, which you know, every day causes prices to go up or, or uh, inefficiencies within our supply chain. Okay, so. Those are, those, are the, you know, those are the aspects within this supply chain debate. Again, the bad conservative argument is to simply just chalk this all up to Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg. Both of them deserve some of the blame, but if we really want to get to a point where we can solve this issue in the here and now and create a more efficient, more effective supply chain system in the future, then we're gonna need to properly identify the different federal interventions, regulations, and different state interventions and regulations that are actually causing these inefficiencies 24/7, 365 days out of the year, but that we only really notice as being especially egregious during a crisis, right? If we can actually provide for more free market solutions, provide for more competition, provide for more supply, then what we're gonna see is more options, we're gonna see a far more resilient supply chain system. I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. Thank you very much for joining us. Please like, share, subscribe, follow, all of those good things. Also, if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us, a five, leave us a five-star rating, write us a review, let us know what sort of episodes you'd like to see in the future. I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. We'll see you next episode.